Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be reading verse 12 in just a moment or two, 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read all the way to verse 27. Good morning to everybody. It's wonderful to see you on this Lord's Day. And I don't think we could have planned it any better. This is Connection Sunday, and you notice all the tables out there, and we want you to take the time after the service to look through those tables. Um, We've been working through spiritual gifts and why it's proper for the Christian to use those gifts in service to Jesus Christ through the local church. And we're going to find that out this morning with hopefully clarity. Um, So just keep that in mind as we're working through these verses. Verse 12. The body is a unit. Actually, the Greek word there is one. So you could say the body is one, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many... They form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into the one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a foot, hand, excuse me, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, It would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concerns for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If the one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and grant us understanding. Let's pray together. Well, Father, as we come to the place of worship where we are gathered in your presence, around your word is one, we affirm that we are powerless to do or say or discover what is necessary apart from the work of your Holy Spirit. The last song we sang makes complete sense. So, God, this moment then belongs to you, and nothing of lasting value will come if you are not at work. So, Father, we look to you now for everything, asking that this time would serve your purpose for your son's sake. Amen. Okay. Verse 13, verse 25. Two key verses. Think of along, think with me along these lines. In order to accomplish his work on earth, Jesus had a flesh and blood body. 
And now, in order to accomplish his work today, Jesus has a body which consists of flesh and blood human beings gathered together in the church. So, the church's mission, which is frankly the Christian's only mission, is to mimic the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Declare his truth, call people to repentance, good deeds to ease the burden of life in a fallen world, good deeds so that people might praise God and want to come and know him. So as a Christian, we are in union with the one who gave up his life for us all. And as Christians, we can do no better than this in the exercise of our gifts. Therefore, the church is a word and deed ministry, which is soaked in gospel truth, soaked in the finished work of Christ, soaked, if you would, in gospel expansion, which means, in part, that we reduce the self for the good of the whole, for the glory of Christ. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. Not for promotion, but humble demotion to the one who shed his own blood for our soul. The church, local church, global church, as we've been saying, is a visible expression of the one person, the Lord Jesus Christ in the world. And of course, if you pay attention to these things, that idea, frankly, is alien to some Christian people and certainly to some Christian churches. Because we live in the age of the individual and the commercial. The individual. I am only here to fill up, not to pour out. I am here not to serve, but to be served. So I can call the shots. And I'm here because I want to be filled up. So I don't want my kids to grow up around Bob Banks. I want my marriage to be super good, family super good, job super good, health super good, quality of life super good, and retirement out of this world. So come on, Jesus, show me the money. I deserve this. Individualism. Commercialism. Hey, you no longer like what they got over there? Well, come on over here. We can serve you better. We know the current group is slowing you down. So, buy this book, pay to be part of this group, pay to get special commando training for the super soldier Christian program we have here, because plain old church is just plain old not enough. And presto, you are the self-improvement king, queen, or little prince, or little princess of the world. No, strike that, of the galaxy. In fact, you're so great, because of our programs... You, you look like you don't even really need a savior. Oh, wait, it's commercialism, so here's the bill. And you know what? We take credit cards, and we have installment plans. Individualism, commercialism, one more, subjectivism. And by the way, all three were active in the church in Corinth. Subjectivism, where the person isn't only being led um, by the Spirit into the truth of God's Word, but actually they're being led by a Spirit, we'll say, in the complete opposite direction of God's Word. 
So the subjectivist believes that the will of God for the people of God is not only in the word of God. So they go their own way. They beat, uh, they are led by the beat of their own drum, which is simply to baptize chaos into a local church. And clearly one of the things that we've been learning as a congregation is that when the scripture dwells in us richly and correctly, right, richly, but also correctly, then we, 1 Corinthians 4, 6, we, we won't go beyond what is written. So we won't take pride in the fact that we think that we have a super secret red telephone line to Jesus that's better than the rest of the Christians in the church because we really know. And clearly that kind of thing was happening in Corinth, which is the context here. They haven't, having fall, fallen prey to all that kind of muddle-headedness, they had completely forsaken their divine commission, the one thing that they knew that they were supposed to do to lose themselves in Christ, to work in humble harmony with one another under the leadership of Christ with the gifts that Jesus Christ had given them in order to be a light to the world. So when that happened, well, you know what happens. They were smug. They were puffed up. They were self-satisfied. They were combative. They were competitive. They were judgmental, playing the rating games with people and spiritual gifts. They had their little pecking order. They had factions and, of course, divisions and a self-centeredness which was so thick that they were very, very low church in the sense that they were told, you can see this, 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. your meetings do more harm than good. Now, what a devastating indictment of a local church. You guys shouldn't even gather together. That's how off-centered they had become. And, of course, chief among their problems is is that their theology, how they lived and moved and thought and decided in their Christian existence, was so flawed and, and leading them down a path where division in the body was the only conclusion. Now, get this straight in your head, please. This is so important. They were supposed to, 2 Corinthians 5, be ministers of reconciliation, right? Jesus Christ ambassadors, bringing God and man together, but they couldn't even keep themselves together. And again, their theology, the way they calculated their Christianity, the way they calculated their spirituality, and the way they calculated life in the local church was so deeply flawed that the inevitable byproduct of all their conclusions was division. There was no way they could escape it. Because surely, as we've been saying, confused thinking always produces in itself confused behaving. When God, you see that verse 25, chapter 12, God arranged things so that there would be no division. But there was division. Such was the church. Now, the Bible gives many, many different pictures to describe the nature and the necessity of a local church. Pictures which always serve to give a sense of of dignity and the significance of a local church. We are God's flock, John 10. Um, We are the bride of Christ, Ephesians 5. We are God's vineyard, John 15. To show the church that the church is led and loved and fed and protected by none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He laid his life down for our very existence. So we should be able to trust him, right? He laid his life down for us, so we should be able to trust him and his leadership in the church. And so what these verses do this morning 
is they give us a picture to define and describe the church, all its dignity, all its significance as the body of Jesus Christ, right? Because we're not just anybody. We're a body, but we're not just anybody. We're the body of Jesus Christ, the visible expression of Jesus in the world. And so to correct the divisive nature of the church, Paul, under God, led by the Spirit, listen carefully, he's not going to use an emotional appeal to try to, try to bring them all together, right? This is not a kind of, you know, what we do at home. Oh, come on, guys, you know, you give in a little bit there, and you give in a little bit there, and presto, everybody's happy. Paul's not going to do that. He doesn't use the emotional. But you can see in your first point there, he uses the theological. You guys, this is basic Christian theology. Theology. Verse 12. Spirit-given revealed truth from the mind of Christ through the pen of Paul. Right? The body is one. Though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Okay, so what Paul does is he begins with basic human anatomy to describe basic theology. It takes many different parts to make a body. Check. And though the parts differ, eyes, ears, nose, arms, legs, they still form one body. In other words, the differences in the parts of the body don't diminish the body's unity in any way whatsoever. It's the way God made it, right? If we were all a big eye, weird, right? But we're not. In fact, the differences in the body, the parts of the body, are needed if the body is going to be a whole body, right? We need everything in our body, just as it is right now, if we're going to be a whole body. And then look at the end of verse 12. And then he says this. And, good, you guys actually did that. I saw a lot of you put your heads down. Good, that's very encouraging. It means your Bible's open on your lap or something's open on your lap and you're looking down. Okay, sorry about that, but it is encouraging. And then he says, so it is with Christ. Okay, what does that mean, right? Well, this is what it means. In order for Jesus to accomplish his work on earth, Jesus had a body made of flesh and blood, right? And now, in order to accomplish his work today, Jesus has a body, but different parts of flesh and blood people in his church. So stay with me. So the different works in the days of Jesus is fleshed, all harmonized together. Preaching, teaching, serving, healing, miracles. Uh, they, they weren't separate entities. The giving of his life for a ransom, headed at God's pace to the cross, all in harmony, all gospel-saturated, so that his death would be the portal, the gateway, by which men and women and young people could enter into communion with Christ, enter into communion with Christ's body, have their sins forgiven, have his righteousness, and then have gifts given with good works prepared for them in advance to do. To do. So this is all one harmonized work. The whole work and all its different parts serve that one purpose, right? Have a holy people, a holy body, the church, and that the church relates to the Holy One through his sacrifice. So the church's work, again, is simply to mimic Christ's work in the days of his flesh. And that gives absolute dignity and significance to the local church. So, so the church then, which is only self-focused, will become sick and die. The church, 
which is not focused on the gospel, unaccounted for in her life, will become sick and die. The church, which is territorial, got people doing that over there, and that's their thing, people doing that over there, and that's that thing, there over there, their thing, there over there, their thing, not in harmony to the one Christ for the sake of the gospel, and get sick and die. Now, we know many people may not feel that the church, especially in our day, is, is very valuable, right? A whole hum place, a oh hum work, and we come in and we come out in an oh hum way. That's not true. That is not true. And then when you see verse 13, it begins to stress, not only is that not true, but it begins to stress the oneness of this blessing which Christ himself gave to all his true people. Now, again, I want you to notice, this is just basic theology Paul's giving them. Verse 13, you see it there? All... Christians were baptized by one spirit. All Christians baptized into the one body. Right? It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your, your, your station in life. All people, people on the high street, people on the low street. Wise, not so wise. Poor, rich. All were baptized into the one spirit. All given the one spirit to drink. In fact, the word that is translated in the NIV, drink, has this meaning that we were engulfed, we were saturated with the one spirit, which of course is the spirit of Jesus Christ. So are you with me? One body, one spirit, one body, one spirit, all in the church given the same spirit, unity. What was the problem in Corinth? Some had more of the spirit than the others. So they made their judgments on the group. They have more of the Spirit than we do. Oh, poor us. They have more of the Spirit than we do. Oh, I want to be like them. And what did that cause? What was the inevitable conclusion of that? Division. Division, then, then making improper judgments, 1 Corinthians 3. Divisions, right? There's a better thought, a better experience with God, a better knowledge, a better holiness. Uh, there's better gifts of the Spirit. Uh, there's a fuller, more better blessing, a better gift so that you'll bear better fruit. But in actual fact, now stay with me, that line of thinking that says that there's something better than what Christ gave you, listen carefully, at your conversion, at day one, Paul is saying in verse 13, that's not true. And if you don't believe that, what's the inevitable conclusion of that? Division. You got more than I do. How'd you get that? So the implications of verse 13, they need to be thought through, right? So instead of playing the rating games with people and spiritual gifts, Paul has to tell them basic Christian theology. Every Christian, no matter who you are, no matter your race, your place in life, Right? All natural divisions of the natural man, all those things in Christ do not matter because, verse 13, all were given the one bap spirit to drink, all baptized by that one spirit, all saturated by that one spirit, by the one and only Holy Spirit. So, so God held nothing back on day one of your new life in Christ. Well, I don't feel that way. Well, God, verse 13, held nothing back Day one, in your entry into Christ. Now, that's why the word baptism that Paul used there is not baptism proper, but rather a picture of the story that is told in a Christian baptism. 
We are, we are initiated by the one spirit, you guys, into the church, into the body of Christ. That's why Paul says what he says at the very end of verse 13. We are engulfed, saturated into the one spirit who gives gifts to serve in the body of Christ, the church. So, so I want you to think with me. Let's, let's play out these implications. You know, this is why commercialism is so bad in a church. This is the implications of our conversion. Every Christian, no matter who they are, is converted only one way. No, no matter what it appears like to the common eye, no matter what it appears like uh, to the fallen mind or even to the discontented, jealous mind, all the fullness of the Holy Spirit is given at our conversion. All of Jesus is given at our conversion. So, so though the gifts differ, the intent and the conclusion and the value of their work are absolutely the same. The value of the person is absolutely the same. The fullness of Christ in them is the same because the church is his body. We are initiated into the church through our conversion by the one spirit made or portrayed, if you would, in baptism. Many parts, verse 12, but all one. So the idea that there's sub-spiritual people in the church and super-spiritual gifts in the church uh, is unnatural to the body of Christ. Or the idea that you can belong to Christ and not be connected to his body, the church, that's unnatural too. That's unnatural. Now, before we move on to our second point, many of you know this. Some denominations will say that, okay, your conversion is fine. But again, for the super serious ones, there's a second work of grace, which is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, right? And so this second work of grace is where the real and vital power is. That's what they say. You want super victory? You want super this and super that? Well, you need the second baptism. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, just think with me. Let's just be really basic here. That line of thought immediately will divide the body of Jesus Christ into the haves and the have-nots, where people, and hopefully well-meaning people, but you never know, will say to you, do you have the gift of, you know what, tongues, prophecy, brother? Do you have the gift of tongues, prophecy, whatever, sister? You don't. Well, sister, you keep pressing in. Brother, you stay after it as if we had to chase after grace. You understand that? If we had to chase after grace, is that grace? It's not grace. I don't know what it is. I mean, a cruel parent would play favorites with different children in the family. And what will happen in that family? Division. Do you give some more than others? Division. So why it would be any different in the church? Where you have this pecking order of the have-nots stooping down to the haves, just like the world. Just like the world. So, So verses 12 and 13, it destroys the idea of spiritual elitism, And it destroys the idea of the second work of grace for the privileged few. 12, 13, no partial Christians, no partial gifts giving, no partial members. Every one of us, all, if we're Christians, baptized in the one spirit, all given the one spirit to drink. Now, remember way back when, it was a few years ago, we worked through Colossians. And what was the Colossian heresy? I mean, it was just like today. There were people going around saying... um, 
Your conversion is cool, but you need some more. And you can have it if you, remember the list? If you, if you have a special diet and you do special things and you have special treatment to your body and you, you have these special ascetic discipline practices. And if you do that, then you can have the fullness. And what did Paul say? 2 Corinthians 2.9, or excuse me, Colossians 2.9. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you, Christian, have been given fullness in Christ. Period. You, Christian, have been given fullness in Christ. I mean, sometimes, it's not in the notes, but sometimes I think we have this kind of fantasy world, spiritual world that's out there, and we're like, oh, if we only had this, and we only had this, then I would be really happy in Christ. What if right now is the best that it got? Would that be all right? We are so dissatisfied with the providence of God. We're so dissatisfied. We're a little more, I want a little more, a little more, a little more. And Jesus said, I gave you everything you need. All. Spirit. Engulfed. Drink. One. There's only one entry into the Christian life, and it's the finished work of Jesus Christ. And from that moment on, we are united to him fully. We have his full attention, and we have the fullness of his spirit. So, so again, do you see why individualism and commercialism and subjectivism can wreak havoc in the church? Because of, instead of one body working together, we are, we are many bodies competing or coveting or raiding, ultimately working for ourselves. That can't be. Number one, basic theology. Number two, we're not gypsies. We're not gypsies, which is to say that since every Christian is united to Jesus Christ and since every Christian is united to each other and since Christ is clearly working out his purposes through his church, we can't drift in and out of church like a spiritual gypsy, right? In and out when we feel like it. I, I, I am not to be a freewheeling spirit who can do whatever I like, calling my own shots, Coming in and out as I please. No, you belong to me, and I belong to you, and we all belong to Christ together. We are the church which was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is our unity. So again, we're not to be in the relationship of a spiritual gypsy, floating in and floating out as we please. We can't say, listen carefully, you can't say, I want to belong to Christ and be a gypsy to his church. You can't do it. We are linked together through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So you know this. Being part of a church can be difficult and it can be, I was going to say scary, but that's just for me. <laughs> it can be difficult. It can be scary. It can be disillusional. But why am I going to stick with it? Because the head of the church is Jesus Christ. And he bought me with his blood. And the people that sometimes I might be afraid of and disillusioned with, They've been bought with that same blood. These are Christ's people. And I am family with them. Christ is the head. So I have to be humble in these things. I did this quick little thing Wednesday night. It was rolling through my head. I said, what is the divorce rate in America versus what is the divorce rate in Europe? America, 51, 52%. Do you know what the divorce rate in Western Europe is? It's like 28%. This is why I thought, I thought, you know what, people leave the church all the time in America. And I thought, I wonder if it's the same with marriage. Because in Europe, they're almost stuck there because there's a whole, not a lot of whole, not a lot of churches. So you can't leave and go and leave and go and all that kind of stuff. You're pretty much stuck with who you got, i.e. marriage. And I thought, so maybe their divorce rate is lower. It is a lot lower. 
I mean, that's kind of a weird study. <laughs> Don't hold me to that, but I mean, at least it bears a little resemblance. I should go on. You're looking at me like I'm a little weird. Okay, basic theology. We're not gypsies. Number three, no inferiority. Right? So the gifts differ. Some are more public. Some, some seem more vital. Some are not public, very public. And some, because they're not public, they don't seem as vital. So clearly some in the church have begun to think like that. Right? So what Paul does is he lays down a corrective. Right? The first corrective is for the people who have an inferiority complex. That's verses 14 to 20. Right? I do not belong. Do you see it? Verse 15, because I'm a foot and not a hand, I do not belong. I don't belong. Verse 16, because I'm only ear and not an eye, I do not belong. So, so the focus in verses 12 and 13 was unity. Now, Paul's pointing to diversity. Right? So, this church had confused Unity with uniformity. And that's very clear. One commentator said this. God made snowflakes, everyone different. But in Corinth, they wanted ice cubes, everyone the same. So there were different gifts. Some gifts got more upsell than the others, and people wanted those gifts. And if they didn't have those gifts, they felt inferior. Verse 14, the body's not made of one part, but many. So again, when you look at verses 15 and 16, it means... That we're not at liberty to say, because I can't do what that person does in the church, I don't belong. We don't have that liberty. You don't have the liberty to say, I'm inferior. I don't matter. No. We, we don't have the liberty to say that. And again, that was a problem in Corinth. The visible and the phenomenal gifts. I mean, we know how this works. The tongues and, and healing and miracles, preaching. They were compared to the lesser gifts by some people in the church. And it made them feel inferior. But Paul says, we don't have the liberty to say that. Why do he say that? Well, look at verse 17. First, it's practical. If every part of the body was only one thing, it was only one part of the body, uh, dysfunctional, right? Again, can you imagine a seat, uh, a church filled with eyes? Or far worse, a church which was only mouths? I mean, if you think about it, it's really sad that the Holy Spirit even has to go down this line. So that's practical. Then verse 18 is theological. Okay, look how active God is, and he gives personal attention to a local church. Verse 18, but in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So the gift that you have that may seem inferior, no, God gave you that gift just as he wanted him to be, for the body. In other words, those who would suffer from an inferiority complex because they don't have gifts they want or they don't have gifts they think they should have or they have gifts that seem lesser, Paul says you're actually fighting the wisdom of God. You're actually fighting the wisdom of God. The part that God has given us to play, God has given us to play. So we matter. There is no part in the church which is insignificant. Your gifting is designed by the creator God, and he has carefully placed you in this church. And the gifts he's given you, carefully put there for his reasons and for his glory. But what happens? I mean, modern day Christians, we make this mistake all the time. Uh, 
<laughs> the local church first isn't a big deal. That's the first mistake we make. Mistake number two, I'm happy with God's divine plan. And we begin to look around and say, oh, if I only had what they had. Oh, why can't I have that gift? If only I had their gift. If only I made the cover of the Christian magazine. I'd be much happier if only I was a YouTube sensation for Christ. Then I, I would be much happier. Very, very self-focused. So this verse tells me, don't call into question God's wisdom. Be active in the wisdom of God. Whatever gift you have, use them for the glory of God. And you know, we need to go on, but I have a sneaking suspicion that to the untrained ear, when a person says, I feel like I have nothing to offer, I feel like I don't belong, maybe two things are happening. Number one, you just don't want to belong. Number two, you might have a pride-filled spirit. Romans 9. Paul says, what right does the clay have to say to the potter, you don't know what you're doing? I want another kind of gift. I want to be a singer. I don't want to be a wiper. I want, I want to be a leader. I don't want to be a doorman. I want, to, I want to speak, but I'm so quiet. I want to be quiet, but I can't shut up. <laughs> so inferior, inferiority could just be a clever disguise for either pride or you don't want to pay the price of being part of a local church. And what happens is sometimes is that people try to play dress up with gifts they don't have and they make a, mo- a royal mess of things. But still, Paul is clear. Verse 18, um, no one can do you in the church. I mean, isn't that neat? No one can do you in the church. Remember the children's hymn from a couple of weeks ago? There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. God has ordered the church Verse 19, if they're all just one part, where would the body be? Verse 20, many parts, one body. So, so we need to move on. But if you think you're unneeded here, you are very, very, very wrong. Okay, if inferiority can be dangerous, superiority can be just as dangerous. And that's the second thing Paul makes as a corrective. Verse 21a, I don't need you. I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Verse 21b, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Verse 22, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So you can see what Paul is doing. He's warning us of comparisons. When we begin to compare ourselves with other Christians, it will lead to jealousy and discouragement. Yes, thinking God has sold us short somehow, thus feeling inferior or to pride and complacency if we think that we are superior, and both, Paul says, causes injury to the body of Christ. So, so we all hurt. We all get hurt by this. Now think on that. We all get hurt when the all are not using the gifts Christ has given. And so we dare not compare ourselves to one another. We need to listen to our grandpas. Remember what our grandpas would say? Keep your head down and just do the work. Keep your head down and do your work. But sometimes we want to put our head up and compare. And we are such a competitive species. (laughs) 
I mean, here, here comes commercialism again, right? We are so competitive. Secretly, openly, gentle, spiteful. We compete with a host of different ways. Our appearance, our achievements, our titles, what we own, our homes, our cars, through our children, through our grandchildren, our careers, our personal finance. I mean, a guy will eat a bag of potatoes for 30 years just so he can have a whole bunch of money when the time comes, say, see, see. And clearly we are competitive in the exercising of our gifts. But Paul says in the church, you, you can't do that. You remember in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul would say, what do you have that you didn't receive? The positive thing is God has given you the gifts himself. He's arranged it himself just the way he wanted it to be. So, so be content. I mean, it's almost un-American to be content, but Paul's like, be content. Don't compare yourself to others. Samuel Johnson, a pastor in the 18th century, no two men will be half an hour together, but one will acquire an evidence superiority over the other. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's human. We can't compete, we can't compare, we just have to try and be faithful in the exercising of our gifts. Because God set the whole thing up for maximum effectiveness. Now listen carefully, each part of the body doing its work. Maximum effectiveness. There's no, there's no way God would have put three chapters on spiritual gifts if he didn't want the church to be working to its maximum. Maximum effectiveness. Verse 22, okay, the gifts that seem weakest... Actually, they're indispensable. They are are essential. They're central. Verse 23, the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special care. Verse 24, we cover the least unpresentable parts with special protection and decency. In other words, it's the stuff that no one can see in our bodies that make our bodies work. It's the same in the church. It's the stuff that no one can really see that makes the church work. The places where we tend to put the significance on, the talkers and the walkers, the singers and the jokers, the upfront people, Paul's like, they can be so easily replaced. But the unseen, the unnoticed parts are indispensable. They're holding the whole thing together. I mean, as you think about the life of this church, we don't even know who, who are those people that keep this together. They're no fuss people. They, they don't want to be bothered. They just do the work of ministry. I mean, there's probably some people here that storm the mercy seat of Christ on behalf of this church, and that's kind of like the, the glue that keeps things together. Remember, the first will be last in heaven, and the last will be first. So the internal matters... And the external gifts need to provide special protection, give special honor, and special treatment to the lesser. Uh, everyone gets treated the same differently. Now you think with me. Where do we tend to give the most special treatment to? To the greater gifts or to the lesser? I mean, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that it's, it's the greater so we care more about our legs and arms than our lungs and liver. Right? I want my legs to look better, so I'm really going to work at my legs. But what about your liver? I want my arms to be massive. <laughs> but what about your lungs? And if you don't have a good liver, you don't have good lungs, your body's going to get sick. 
It's going to get really sick. So God made things in the church so that we give special care to these gifts that would seem weaker, less honorable, but need special covering. Why? Well, there it is, central verse, verse 25. So that there will be no division in the body. Equal concern for one another. Equal concern. Remember everyone and everything. No pecking order. We are not a seniority-based congregation. Why not? Well, God did this for a purpose. So that there would be no division. And nothing caused division in a church than the attitude of superiority by some. Okay. Final lesson. We're equal. We're connected. We're different. We are to serve. We need each other. We're one in Christ. We ought to make special provision for those modest gifts. And then you need to know this. The very last thing I did on Friday, somewhere around 4 or 4.30, is I left the sanctuary and I began to walk out the door. And there are the people coming this way as I was going that way. And they're the people who come and wipe down the chairs and put the Bibles in order and keep this place in here really neat so that we can have a nice place to worship Jesus. Do you know who they are? Probably not. Do you, do you know who I am? Regrettably, you do. Do you see? Do you see? Let's pray. Father, for Jesus' sake, please help us to get this right. We're going to sing, Father, and then we're going to go to the one table. And all are equal in Christ at the table of our King. Thank you for making it so. Amen.